Welcome to Business Unmuted, the Northern Business Podcast, sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. Now, I'm Graeme Robb. I'm the owner of Recognition PR, and we've got 70-plus clients. We represent them around uh, the media and in PR generally, and they actually have 30,000 staff and a turnover of £6 billion. So dealing with that group of people certainly gives us an insight into what's happening in the economy. Well, today's episode of Business Unmuted is a three-guest discussion. Uh, in the studio, we've got Ben Quaintrell. He's the founder and managing director at My Property Box in Darlington, which offers an end-to-end property service for landlords. And also, Ben's a small property investor as well. Um, he's got some very interesting developments in the town of Darlington and beyond. Down the line, we have the author and financial journalist, Iona Bain. Now, she's uh, talking about millennial money because she's an expert on the money habits of millennials. And there's some really different attitudes that that group of our population have towards money to maybe older people who, like myself, been in business a while. Let's talk to Iona about that a little later. But we start with Nathan Spencer. Nathan is a director at UK Reef. That's the UK's real estate investment and infrastructure forum. It's a very important event in the property sector and it's happening in Leeds in the next few days, actually, next week. Let's find out more about it and what it's all about. Nathan, thank you for joining us on Business Unmuted. Um, Reef has been a, uh, a part of the landscape of the property and investment scene for a long time now. What is, what is, how does it do it? What does it bring together? Yeah, so as an organisation, we've been around maybe 10 years or so, and the UK Reef, um, which is our largest event, um, this is going to be the second year that, we, that we've run it effectively. Um, we bring together the public and private sector. Um, I don't think it, in the past there's been as much need as there has been right now to make sure that public and private sector really drive forward regeneration, development, uh, and that's all we do, really. We bring together the, the investors, the developers, the local authorities, and with them in the room, everybody else wants to come from the built environment to have their, their say on the future of our community. So we think it's those those key markets coming together um, and, and therefore the rest of the built environment and the property industry, the infrastructure industry, that they all want to come in and be involved in that conversation. So before we go on, at full disclosure, I've got a number of commercial clients that are at that event, people like the uh, uh, Nailers Gavin Black, the commercial agents, uh, DPP, uh, GMI Construction, a construction company. But also, I'm on the board of one of the uh, mayoral development corporations in the northeast of England, and I know they'll have a, a presence there as well. And it seems to me that every day I'm getting emails in my inbox from your team telling me that the city of Manchester is going to be represented, Sheffield's going to be represented. It seems to be that lots of areas of the country are taking an opportunity to display their investment opportunities for real estate investors. Yeah, that's right. And, and there's so many as well at the moment. Um, there's so many opportunities out there. And, and what we've tried to do is try to make it as inclusive as possible. So we have London coming, which is very rare to get London out of London. Mm-hmm. But we've more or less got all, all 32 um, London boroughs in attendance. We've got Cornwall, Belfast, um, every city in, in Scotland. Um, one of the key things that we have done, apart from bringing the domestic market together, we work very closely with, with UK government, uh, both the Department for Business and Trade and, and the Department for Leveling Up. Uh, and we have an international delegation coming over. So it's not just around bringing 
the, the domestic market together, but also bringing those investors transformational investment, we hope, from, from overseas. Uh, and we try to facilitate it in the right way. So we, we offer London, Manchester, Birmingham, the same type of facilitation that we would do to a Carlisle, to a Hull, to, to a Bournemouth. Uh, we try to make sure that at the event, we're putting them in the room with the right people that can bring around new homes, new development, new investment. Um, so yeah, we're trying to do it in the right way. And we think we've we've hit the uh, the kind of the nail on the head with, with what we're doing. And we're seeing quite a few deals off the back of the first kind of inaugural event that we did last year, which has then seen attendance double for, for the year coming. Now, it strikes me, Nathan, that there are a number of key ingredients to successful development. Uh, one is the availability of sites. Next is the creativity of developers to make the sites the appropriate use for uh, both the consumer, the end user and the local community. Next is the availability of finance to fund the developments. Now, have you got people there who are interested in finance as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the three big pension funds uh, are there in big presence. So Legal and General, Phoenix Group, Aviva, um, with Brexit regulations, they freed up quite a bit of capital to invest into regeneration projects, around about 100 billion in, in total. So we, we have the we have all the time, we keep getting told that the capital is there. It's the opportunities that we need to bring forward, whether that be kind of making sure that we go through the planning process, making sure we have the community on board, making sure that the design is in place. So we have the people there who are wanting to deploy capital. I think there's about a thousand people um, who are representing investors and they're investors into property, they're investors into energy um, to heat networks or heat and energy networks. There's a type of investor for everybody at that at the event. So um, yeah, the capital is there, and that's what we're hoping to kind of match make towards those opportunities. Local authority, developer wise, development corporations. We're we're all about connecting the dots. Now this kind of event is familiar on the international landscape because there's an event uh, called MIPIN, which happens in Cannes. I'm sure you know MIPIN. You've probably been to MIPIN. I went to MIPIN once, and right, uh, we went twice actually. Um, very interesting. Are you trying to emulate that international conference? Um, I wouldn't say emulate um, because certain events overseas have, have certain connotations uh, which come with them. We want to make sure that this isn't seen as the mipping of the UK. Uh, and we're doing a lot to try to mitigate that. Um, but at the same time, there's obviously been a lot of people that, that compare it because we're putting investors in front of opportunities to, to hopefully drive economic growth um so yeah we're not trying to emulate but it, it's quite difficult to to kind of get away from the fact that we are doing what what some um some other events do but what we're trying to make sure we do is actually make those connections whereas a lot of events you put people in a room and hope they find each other where actually we've got a lot of private events and a lot of facilitation that happens behind the scene so if people are looking for investors into social housing we will put them in front of investors into social housing. So we're trying a lot uh, to, to make sure that we're ticking the boxes on those lines. Uh, and then we have been in the US uh, last week, actually, because we've had interest in running UK Reef overseas as well. well so really uh, yeah, interesting. We, we're looking to branch out too. I think that would be a fantastic idea. I was in the US myself just three weeks ago, and uh, the economy there is 
forging ahead and it was great to go to Philadelphia which is where I was where they had a development corporation similar to the one we have in Teesside which is maybe five years ahead of ours and is building out now so it was interesting to see that while I was in uh, Philadelphia. Now uh, going back to um, uh, your uh, conference of course or your event rather it it comes on the back of the leveling up uh, agenda um, I suppose starting in earnest in 2019-2020 and having turbocharged some parts of the north uh, Teesside has done very well uh, out of the levelling up agenda uh, other parts maybe a little bit further behind but um, has the levelling up agenda given any kind of impetus to the things that you're seeing happening at the conference? Um, I, I think it certainly gave some sort of positivity particularly last year there was this big kind of backing behind it is one of our key themes that the main stage was very much a leveling up stage um i I think what we found with leveling up is it's actually made some of the local authorities look at what opportunities they have Mm. there's a lot of critique around areas like um the process around um submitting areas for investment zones but actually at the same time as being some negativity it's also meant that that's brought forward opportunities that maybe the, the local authority hadn't packaged up before, hadn't looked at before. So um, I think depending on where you ask, it, it will have a different feeling. Um, we get there quite frequently, um, particularly if they've not been able to acquire any money uh, from the levelling up funds. But actually, I think it has given some positivity to make not just the local authorities, but actually the general public is now looking at levelling up thinking, oh, right, great, regeneration, development. It's not something that's always on the political agenda. Uh, and actually, I think from a voter's perspective, it's made people look a lot more into what's happening locally than what we were doing prior to, to the levelling up kind of funding and, and everything else that comes with it. We'll get a call to action to the conference in a minute, how people can go. But let's just bring in Ben Cohen 12. Uh, ben, you run my property box in Darlington and you've got branches around the northeast as well. But you, you also are an investor <coughs> yourself. Tell us the kind of things you've been investing in in the town of Darlington and elsewhere. Yeah, so um, born sort of out of accident, really, is um, in, in the northeast and particularly in Darlington, is uh, professional HMO house shares, which have always been around uh, across the country. But certainly in Darlington, it was generally sort of, um, there didn't really exist professional house shares because demand is so high in the town. Um, there's huge demand for it now. So, yeah, we've just done, um, me and my business partner on one project, have just completed a, a commercial Tresi conversion on two 10-bed HMOs right next to the uh, the Treasury building, very high spec. I've actually just gone on the market last week and yeah, we've, we've got a lot of applications coming in which just shows the demand at the moment for, for accommodation. Just give us the sort of uh, the, the, the elevator pitch for what someone would get. What kind of person are you aiming at? I think yeah. the owner would be interested in this and what kind <laughs> of uh, fee will they be paying? Yeah, so uh, basically a lot of, you know, a lot of um, professional people working in Darlington, it could be two aspects, it could be short term or long term lets or You've got short-term service accommodation, might be somebody travelling up from London or to the area, two nights, three, five nights a week. They want a permanent site, so it's not like a hotel room, it's like maybe they still want their own access. Or they might want a permanent place, three to six months on an AST, a steward shot old six-month tenancy. But again, not a hotel, so they'll have a shared kitchen, shared communal areas. They can uh, you know, network with other people in the building. We've got working pet pods in the, in the basement, should they want to just plug in and work from, from home. So yeah, it gives people different options that, that work in and the town. And what kind of price will they pay for that? Um, well, HMOs in Darlington, the, the, the prices have, have really gone up significantly in the last two years. So two years ago, HMOs in the town were around about 400 per calendar month. Some of the nicer ones now are achieving 600 per calendar month. But for that, 
all bills are included. So you walk in, it's like a hotel room, you drop your bag, electric, gas, water, broadband, everything's included. So it's it's easy and easy out sort of accommodation. And and you've got you've got you said ten, your first development. Twenty, was... ten, ten. Ten, ten. Yeah. yeah. And 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 you reckon they'll they'll all go, will they? Oh, We've just put them on last week. I mean, yeah, we've, I mean, we've got Housing Associates interest, all sorts of interest, the Treasury interested. But yeah, we put them on right move last week, and I think we've got between like five and ten applications already. How so, interesting. Yeah. And, but the, this, this formula has not been used in provincial towns in the northeast of England much at all, has it? Obviously, not, not really. Obviously, you've got your students' clusters in Newcastle, Sunderland, and Middlesbrough, which are generally professional HMOs in the northeast, you know, aren't, aren't common. Obviously, in the last, they've been born the last few years just from demand for property. I'm going to bring Iona in now. Iona writes about millennial finance. You've got this great, there's a logo of your book there, Own It. It's a great book, by the way, endorsed by my good friend Liam Halligan uh, from the Sunday Telegraph. Iona, what Ben is saying, this product that he's offering, that'll be familiar to you in central London, won't it? Yes, HMOs are very common in London. And you may have been reading about the rental crisis that is reaching new highs now here in the capital. It's a real struggle for young professionals who are on a really good salary even to just find a place to rent, um, let alone be able to afford it. And I think that's forcing more and more young people to think about where else in the country they could move to. And I actually think that one silver lining of lockdown was that remote working became more normalized and accepted and that does give younger people more scope to move to other parts of the country and do work um, that doesn't require them to be in the capital all the time. So I think these kind of developments could be the future because they could point to um, possibilities where younger people could be moving around much more, they could be having much more flexible housing situations rather than being rooted in very rigid HMO tenancies in the capital, often for no good reason. Well, Iona, three cheers to that. And of course, in the northeast of England, where, where we're broadcasting from, one of the great things, and north generally, is we don't want to see our young people go to a brain drain to London. We like London yeah. very much, but I prefer to do, visit as a tourist rather than to lose our young brains to it. And the difference in price, Ben's talking about five or six hundred pound a month, and he's thinking that's fantastic. But mm. if you were uh, looking at that kind of price from your perspective, you'd be thinking it's cheap, wouldn't you? Absolutely. When you're looking at the prices now for, for renting a, an HMO, not even in a central London location, often on the fringes in, you know, zones five and six that are not particularly convenient if you are working in any way in the centre. Yeah, that sounds to me very reasonable. And it's interesting you talk about the brain drain. I'm finding in my line of work more and more um, of the media industry is moving north. Um, mm. I travel to Manchester every week mm. um, to do BBC Morning Live. Mm. Um, and also I film Rip Off Britain from Manchester too. So it's actually definitely changing. It used to be the case that if you wanted to work in an industry like the media, you had to come to London. It's one reason why I, I've based myself here. Um, I've stayed here because I've made lots of connections and have put roots down here. But certainly now you're not having to face that unenviable choice between foregoing that, you know, exciting career um, or, you know, um, going to London and having to pay through the nose to rent there. Well, we can't. We've got to, got to. We can't move on without talking about your book. But this book is. We can see it behind. Own it. 
tell us what the premise of the book is, what you've been looking at and what you've discovered as a result. Well, I wrote Own It because a few years back, I saw that young people were feeling really fed up with their finances. They were feeling quite hopeless about the future. And this was even before COVID came along. So ever since the 2008 financial crash, my generation has felt that the housing market, the pension system, um, savings, um, the ability to get a job that's well paid and allows for progress, um, and, and the student loan um, changes that have occurred in recent times. All these factors have really um, militated against young people feeling like they have a stake in our economy, feeling like they are making progress in the way that their parents um, once did with, with you know, relative ease. Um, and I feel that that that's caused a lot of young people to look for riskier ways to make money. And that's one reason why we've seen this boom in Bitcoin. It's one reason why young people are going online and investing in Forex mm. and all sorts of very exotic and, and often dangerous schemes that can turn out to be completely fraudulent in the worst case scenario. And it struck me that there was just very little in-depth but helpful, friendly and funny advice for young people about what they could do with their finances in the long term um, because yes you get lots of people you know offering their their views online about what you should do with with your money but actually investing is complicated it's rewarding it's fascinating and it's very important but it it's not something that you can cover in a little tweet or an instagram mm. post it's something that you, I think, need to read about in order to get a handle on it. So, so that's why I wanted to write the book and to do it from the young person's perspective. You know, I, I had a, the privilege, and I regard it as a privilege, of, I've just mentioned going to Philadelphia earlier last month uh, because my daughter got married and she's a millennial, she's 31. Uh, coming at 31 and so I had to stay with her for a few days and it was very interesting for a sort of 59 year old to stay with a, a young couple in their early 30s and witness the difference in uh, how they live their life now she's lucky because she has bought a home so I know that that's that's a fixed difference between many young people in this country and my daughter in America but the other things were very similar uh, an attitude to rental, an attitude to disposable things, an attitude to paying for things that otherwise could be... So buying expensive coffees, eating out, um, having <clears throat> things delivered, whether it be food or, 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 or things that... Or, or parcels from Amazon rather than going into shops. Um, streaming services. You know, uh, I, I must have counted 10 streaming services that sh the, the couple subscribe to being right. a member of a gym and having a Peloton subscription. Mm. And, and it was just, as it says, like these things mount up and sometimes inventory isn't kept in the same way that maybe my generation would of outgoings because it's easier. Um, cash, no use of cash at all. Mm. No money in a pocket ever. Yeah. Uh, extraordinary. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does, now I'm not making a value judgment on that, it sounds like I'm being yeah. a dad talking out of school yeah. here, but I'm not making a value judgment on that. But in in what you've just heard, do you think that is something that is that familiar? And is that something that maybe young people themselves have to look at or society needs to adjust the way it values young people? I don't think your daughter's um, situation is unusual at all. I think here in the UK, lots of millennials, if not most millennials, 
are living in a similar way. Depending on how much they're earning, they may not have quite as many expenses, but they are living a version of that lifestyle mm. where they are taking advantage of technology in order to have everything at their fingertips because that's what they've been encouraged to do. But I often refer to a lot of these services um, and um, superficially attractive um, consumerist options that millennials avail, avail themselves of today as being a bit of a consolation prize for the really big assets that they are overall missing out on. Yeah. So I think that most young people would, would happily, you know, trade in some of those things for the opportunity to own their own home, to, to have, um, you know, outgoings that are more affordable um, and to know that they can one day retire and that they're not going to have to, you know, pay an unrealistic amount into their pension every month in order to have just a decent standard of living in retirement. And that's increasingly a concern that I'm seeing among younger people because they're constantly being told they're not saving enough for retirement. And yet we're not doing enough to acknowledge actually young people are getting a really rough deal when it comes to their pensions. They're being told they need to save more and more. And yet we know how strained people's incomes are, especially during the cost of living crisis. So, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think right. that, that experience you spoke I, about is definitely not unusual. We'll, we'll bring Nathan and Ben in, but before I do, let me just say, my daughter relocated from London because of some of the right. reasons you've just discussed, by the way. And, and uh, I think that's, and I, I completely agree. I think that she would definitely trade a turmeric latte, uh, a turmeric latte for, for, um, for, for, for a house. Ben. Yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, I want to make some amazing points and I'm looking forward to reading a book. But yeah, I think, I think the problem is there's no financial education in, um, no financial um, in, in the education system. So, so young people grow up knowing how, you know, which is, there's nothing wrong with like the history and geog geography of the world, but they don't know how to own their own bank account. They don't know anything about pensions. They don't know how to leverage. They don't know about debt. And there's nothing, there's no education for that. And like I only said, it's about reading and listening to podcasts, going to networking events, mm. surrounding yourself with the right people and learning about that and, and learning, you know, from other people around you. And yeah, it's so important. But obviously, you know, young people don't always have that. And I, I, only, I know your book gives some tips and hints, but uh, the, the truth is that still some of the stuff is out with the, the, the affordability index is, is ridiculous. Now, I've just got the note here. Average house price is £287,800. That's the standardised average house price in the UK, March, last, March this month, uh, this year, March this year. Um, an increase of 1% in just one month. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely huge. So what, what are the top tips? I know you've got a whole book, so you can't concentrate, but what, what are the top things that you're saying to young people who, who look to you for your advice and guidance? Well, to give a very quick overview, I think firstly, you've got to get the basics right. Um, and it was really interesting hearing that perspective there on financial education. I think you have to educate yourself um, and fill in those gaps. And thankfully, you can do that now. It's just a question of finding reliable, accurate sources of information. Um, but getting the basics right is really important. So making sure that you're in the budgeting habit, that you're saving if possible, um, that you have the necessary insurance as well. But then beyond that, maximizing your pension. So that doesn't mean contributing huge amounts. It just means, you know, putting a little bit extra in, for instance, when you get a pay rise, putting that extra money towards your pension, your future self will thank you for it. Mm. Um, also not overthinking investing, just doing it and deciding that 
something is better than nothing. So even if you can only afford to invest, you know, 50 pounds a month, actually, that might be the best way to invest. Because if you're regularly putting in a small sum into the stock market on a frequent basis, that might actually be better than putting a massive lump sum in all in one go at some point in the future. So get started now and then get to know the different investment um, options that are available and figure out what's right for you. So if you want to be a more passive hands off investor and you're pretty time pressed, you're probably going to look at robo advisors compared to someone who actually really wants to take more of an interest, particularly if they want to be maybe a more ethical green investor, they might look to go on an investment platform and build their own investment mm. funds and mm. do it that way. And then also just getting clued up about the scams that are out there, all the pros and cons of Bitcoin and just how risky it is. I'm not anti-Bitcoin, but I think you need to be extremely careful with it. Um, and then sticking with investing rather than expecting to see results here and now. I think we're in a very instant gratification culture. But investing is not about that. It's all about the long term and it's about sticking with it and letting the magic of the stock market um, really build up that fund for you in the future when you need it. Or, or property. Or property. Yes, yes. Mm. And yeah, th indeed. Of course, there's a difference in geography of whether you can invest in property here in the northeast, you could, uh, but not necessarily in London. Mm -hmm. Iona, I tell you what. I know who's getting a copy of your book for Christmas. <laughs> It'll be flying across the United States to the United music States. music my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Iona. Appreciate you talking to me. Just hold on there while I wrap up with Nathan. Nathan, we, what, a lot of what Ben and uh, Iona have been talking about is uh, property. And it all comes to property in the end, doesn't it, when it comes to housing? Because that's the great shortage in the country. It does, yeah, but and, and to, for those houses to be there, you need you need skilled workers around there. You know, new jobs. We all talk. And that's probably the big thing that people talk about is always generating new jobs. Um, but to have new jobs, you need the skilled workers around there. You need to make sure that the the skilled workers. Um, we mentioned brain drain earlier that they are staying within those regions. I think we're doing a much better job of it, um, particularly <clears throat> up north than we have previously. But yeah, housing is much needed. Um, and, and what we try to do is it's not all around the, the large scale, because when we talk about affordable housing, actually, when you look at some areas um, around these sort of percentage of, of homes that need to be delivered, what's affordable in sort of tech term isn't actually affordable for the people who are living there so yeah you we do truly need to figure out a way to to get around that um and hopefully yeah it needs to be pushed through i, I suppose through a government um landscape than than many others but there is people out there who are doing good things to make sure that that people can afford homes uh, and it needs our developers um to be to be coming forward um as hopefully they are doing well nathan Best of luck next week. I'm just going to give you the chance to say if someone wants to go to UK Reef, can they or is it are all the tickets gone? How do you? <laughs> yeah, the admin team will shout at me um, because uh, the events next week. But yes, there is tickets still available. Um, yeah, UKReef.com is the, the easiest way to go. Well, I'm going. I look forward to maybe bumping into you. Have a great uh, conference. Iona, let's have a bestseller out of you. And Ben, keep <laughs> flogging the flats. Take care. That's it for Business Unmuted. Catch you. you again next week.